Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, episode 137. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hey, welcome back to Thread, and this is our final um, episode from Greece, as far as I know, unless we just decide we want to live here forever, uh, which is not a bad idea. So, if you hear goats in the background or ships uh, blowing their horns or whatever, just know these are authentic sounds, not sound effects, as we wrap up our study of the book of Acts in the New Testament. And once again, I just want to say thanks to you for sticking with us as we've gone slowly through this book and tried to really squeeze out all the lessons that we have for the modern church and for ourselves as leaders, because Thread is Leaders Bible Study. It's a place where we can go slowly, you know, we don't have to have sound bites and uh, just little proof texts and happy lessons, but we can approach the scripture as leaders would and look for lessons from the past, uh, from the great leaders that brought us to the place that we're at today. And I don't think you have many places in Scripture where you can find more lessons than in the book of Acts and the beginning of how this movement that we're all part of got its start. And I just think it's so important for us to return to the early church from time to time and look at their mistakes and look at their their struggles and what they found important enough to fight over and what they found important enough to die for and to realign ourselves with that early movement because it's so easy to get off track, you know, and to become part of of something that's about something totally different. And I want to be I want to be true to the roots. So, we're back in our wrap up and then we'll talk a little bit about where we're headed in the future. And I've got about seven remaining lessons from the book as far as I, as the ones that come to me. So we stopped on number 24, and I'm going to go now to number 25. Lesson 25, you don't need a glorious building to build a dynamic church. I think that's just so important to get in our heart. When we were church planting, you know, there was always that, that struggle of, it was actually a beautiful struggle of what kind of church do we want to be? You know, we were trying to answer those questions about what's our model of church. And so many of the models that I see today, they all, you know, start with the word big, and then it becomes, a lot of it is about, um, I don't want to say showbiz, but it's a whole lot of production. You know, the church service itself is a really big production. Almost no one could just, uh, you know, slide in and be part of it. You've got to be uh, part of a team. A lot of these teams are highly trained uh, because we want our quality really good, and I understand all that. But um, Christianity impacted their community in the early days because they understood that their influence, that's really what we're about, is influence, not entertaining people, not having people say, oh, awesome, but changing people, changing cities, changing families, changing the way a nation thinks. Uh, the early church understood that that impact comes because they were willing to reach out to people. 
They were willing interpersonally as believers to put themselves on the line and reach out to their friends and family. You know, it came through their willingness to do that, their willingness to build relationships. And because they were so relational, they met in homes and they held their meetings sometimes in, you know, big events and in public places. But they did all of this without buildings and it worked just fine for them for 300 years. While we, you know, as the uh, as our enemies said, these are the people that have turned the world upside down, and that's what they were talking about. It was a movement that wasn't so easy to find. Like, you couldn't just look them up and find their places and look for who the leader was. That's the nature of a great movement is you can't, you know, you couldn't take one person out and shut it down. It's just going sideways. It's, uh, you know, it's got that... Um, that natural division where it's just going and influencing. Anyway, uh, sometimes a building actually becomes a problem for that. Now, I, uh, the largest church we ever pastored had no building. Well, I can't say that. It didn't have a Sunday building for 10 years. And we were fine being a house church, a collection of, of house churches, and we had a, a large percentage of our people that were meeting in homes and I just found that so strong and powerful. But there's something about that big corporate meeting that is, I don't know, it's just got an energy to it, and it does allow you to scale and and go big on some things. You can't go big on discipleship. And that's why I think the problem is not that we have big services these days as much as we don't have anything but big services. You know, it's pretty much the only Christian thing now is go to church, if you can get them to go to church. And then, uh, you know, no more meetings. And it's the home group that, that I just saw do so much in people's lives. And so we ended up, you know, renting facilities, and we did that for years. And then the facility we had, they tore down, and nobody would rent to us because we were in the born-again movement. And that led us to have to build because we went a year without a church building at 1,500 people. And uh, it was that was very difficult. Our cell groups stayed together, but we, we needed a place. But, you know, to get your whole focus on that place and to start uh, your whole ministry built around a physical building, I think you're going to build it backwards. Uh, the New Testament church built it small first and let all the small, you know, grow together. Okay, number 26, lesson 26. When you get a chance to witness to someone who's influential, uh, and you never know when this could happen to you, you need to be polite be clear and be direct. You know, don't think you're going to get a whole lot more chances to meet with them and this is just the first chance. You need to be a prophetic voice in their life and we need to assume in those moments that the Lord has ordained this opportunity because this person is spiritually hungry and they're receptive and they may be, you know, extremely high profile and you may think, oh, they got it all together, but I can promise you Everyone in the world is struggling to deal with their life, and uh, you know, Christians too. And so I also wouldn't present, oh, see, you'll never struggle with your life if you only knew Jesus like I do, because I don't know that that's, we, can, you know, that we can bear that out. But there is a change that the transformation brings, and that transformation I can, I can brag about and testify to. So know that the spiritual breakthrough for breakthrough for such a person can only happen as a work of the Holy Spirit. You know, this meeting has to be scheduled 
by God at just the right time. So they'll be open and they'll listen. And so if you find yourself in that place where you're with somebody influential and you have a moment that turns for you to witness, understand this is a God moment. Don't be shy. Push in. Just say what you think God wants you to say to them. You may never see them again, but they will probably never forget this meeting. And if you'll open yourself to the Holy Spirit, not try to be clever, not try to do any human thinking, but just say, Father, tell me what to say, and just say it. Deliver God's message to them. Those words have power. Scripture says, when Felix heard Paul speak, he trembled. You know, it cut through his defense system. Paul wasn't asking anything for himself. But he knew he would probably never have a chance to talk to these people again. So he poured out his heart with great passion. Okay, number 27. We need to learn to tell our own story in a direct, simple way in five minutes. You know, in Acts 26, Paul one more time recounts how he met the Lord, what Jesus did inside of him, and he does this over and over again in the book of Acts. And it doesn't take him 45 minutes to tell the story. And I think it's a really important part of discipling anyone to teach them how to give their testimony and get to the point. You know, cut out two-thirds of that detail because it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to the direction of the story. We all remember so much of our own life. And so if, you know, it's actually kind of difficult. I know when you're shooting a documentary or an interview, you don't let that person tell their history you sum up their history quickly and you just go to them to say, and how did you feel, you know, and what was going on in your mind? But you don't let them tell the details because it'll go forever. Uh, But we need the discipline to design a way to tell our story, to get to the main points, and to be able to tell that story in five minutes or less. Lesson number 28. We need to trust God to give us favor with other people. We need to believe that as I go out into the world and as I deal with people, there is a special anointing on me that will make them love me. They're going to like me. They're going to look up to me. And it's not because of you know, necessarily accomplishments of mine, because that's just a human influence and that won't change lives, but that God himself will open their heart and cause them to look up to you. God will give you favor with other people. And if you will trust in this, in the fact that God is giving you favor with people, you can build an entire ministry upon it. And we see this in Acts chapter 27. And it's an example of spiritual authority. As we've said over and over again, water flows downhill. People have to look up to you and God will make them look up to you. If, you are, if you're on mission for Him, and your primary purpose in engaging other people is to move them toward Christ and into the new life and into the kingdom of God, then God will give you favor with those people, and He will cause your words to be bigger than life. And so believe that, have confidence in that, and minister out of it every day. Um, uh, my kids have grown up in a family that ministers. We're a family on a mission, and we've always tried to minister around our children. And one of my kids was uh, hiking. He he went through a very you know long, like five month hiking, the Pacific Crest Trail. 
And so he finds himself out in the middle of nowhere, and they're low on resources, and they're worn out, and they're cold and tired. And he had this you know, buddy hiking with him. And so as they stepped out onto the highway, a uh, little road, you know, off of this trail, you know, my son was uh, bold enough to say to his friend, you watch, something good is about to happen. You know, stay near me uh, because God is going to do something and, and we're going to have people treat us nice. And all of a sudden, you know, it didn't take too long till a car pulls over. They find themselves in this truck with a man who takes them home and they get a hot shower and his wife cooks some awesome food and they and they realize he is he's a person of uh, of impact and uh and the man did opened his heart to them fed them well took good care of them put them back on the trail the next day and it's just you know nathan had learned to see the hand of god giving us favor that this is going to happen and it's a gift from the father on his children so I was really glad to hear him tell that story and to know how much confidence he has in it. Okay, number 29. We need to, when we minister to other people, one of the most important things we can do is to build up their faith and build up their hope. You know, sometimes we get so in our educationally focused age, we're focused on, oh, I wish I was a teacher and I could give you this big, long teaching series and you could understand all there is to know. And I just don't think most people need that. What people need is that when you have no hope, someone gives you the gift of hope. And when you have lost your confidence and you're, you're slowing down, your momentum is gone, you're questioning everything you do, that someone comes alongside of you and says, ah, you're looking at it wrong. It's like this. And you boost their mind open and all of a sudden their faith grows you know, Paul, and I'm, I'm getting this lesson out of uh, chapter 27, verses 22 and 25. They're in the middle of this horrible storm. Their life is in jeopardy. It's been 14 days long. They've not eaten food. And Paul says, hey, cheer up. This is not going to end in your death. Not one of you is going to lose anything in your life. You're not going to come out of this maimed. You're going to be whole and you're going to be alive uh, I believe God. Let's eat. And they did. You know, He gave them the gift of hope. And that is just so powerful. Lesson number 30. We need to practice boldness. Um, you know, in the New Testament, that was one of the things that the enemies of Christianity saw in the early disciples of Jesus. It says they saw their boldness. They marveled at their boldness and they took note that they had been with Jesus. You know, it's just a beautiful characteristic to have. One time I was, uh, in the earliest days of my ministry, Sherry and I were living in Jamaica, and they were having some riots. And like a not-too-smart person, I decided to go out and experience a riot. So I'm standing out you know, in this crowd, and there's tensions are high, and everybody's angry, and they're burning stuff. And someone has thrown a telephone pole across the road to block people from being able to come, you know, so everybody would get near that area and they'd see the barricade and they'd quietly, you know, put it in reverse and move away. And, and I'm standing there, you know, you feel this anger in the crowd. And all of a sudden, here comes this little bitty, it was the first generation of Suzuki Jeeps, and they were really small and bouncy. And up the hill comes this tiny little Suzuki Jeep with four guys in it, and they were Israelis. And so they're cruising up the hill. They come right 
to the telephone pole. Doors fly open. Four men out of the car. You know, pleasant look on their face, but they didn't hesitate for two seconds. Out of the car, arms under the pole. One, two, three. Hoop, 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 hoop. Thing is rolled out of the way. Back in the car. Doors closed, and they kept driving. And everybody in the crowd just stood there speechless. Nobody threw a rock at them. No one said a word. They just marveled. You know, these guys were so bold. They weren't antagonistic. They didn't want to fight anybody. This was not their fight, but they were not going to be delayed from where they were trying to go. And they weren't going to back down. And so their boldness backed that whole mob down. And everybody just stood and watched these guys like respect. You know, and I, I see this. In the New Testament, over and over again, in the book of Acts, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see Paul beat up. I mean, he's just beaten. They tried to kill him. They beat him so badly. And he will recover a little bit, and he'll go right back to the same city. And I'm thinking, man, I wouldn't go back there, you know, for five years. I'd let it cool down. And Paul is just bold. He gets, I love that image from one of the last lessons where he gets bit by a snake, and he, you know, no crying, no yelling, no fearing. He takes the snake and shakes it over. It's still hanging on his arm. He shakes it off into the fire, chapter 27, and everybody just marvels at him. And you see the same boldness in Peter's life, Stephen's life, Philip. They all, this is the thing about boldness. You initiate action. You don't wait. You don't respond. You initiate. And when you do that, People will marvel, just like in chapter 4, verse 13, and they will realize you have been spending time with Jesus. Lesson number 31. We need to be crystal clear on our doctrine of salvation. Chapter 4, verse 12. Peter is standing up in public. There's lots of opinions contrary to what he's about to say, but Peter opens his mouth and he says, chapter 4, verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, Jesus only. Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. Jesus, whether that's popular to be that exclusivistic or not, if it's the truth, it's the truth. You know, if aspirin will not cure cancer, I don't need to be PC about aspirin and say nice things about aspirin. It doesn't cure cancer. I'm not going to pretend it does. I'm not going to honor people who believe it does and say, well, you know, your opinion is probably as valid as mine. There is a cure, and Jesus is the cure. He is the cure for sin and separation from God. And if there was any other way to be saved, do you think God would have bankrupt heaven and sent his son, and do you think the second person of the Trinity would have bound himself to be a human forever? He can never undo the incarnation. If there were other paths to God, God would certainly have taken them. And this is the way, and we have to stand and honor it. And this one doctrine is going to get smashed and hammered and attacked from now till Christ comes, it is going to make us hated people because we will not also say there are other ways. It's getting hotter and more difficult to stand for this one doctrine, but either stand by it or get out because either Christ is the way or he's not. And if he's not, let's get away from all this, but I know he's the way and I will stand by it. 
Um, number 32. If you have a big idea to spread, you need to take it on the road. You know, Paul's missionary journey show us he had a big thought and he got that thought in his mind and he began to go city by city, town by town, family by family. He took his idea on the road. So if you want to spread a thought, if you want to make an impact, you need to learn to travel and speak. You need to travel and represent this doctrine that we're all part of. And number 33, and this is the last one. There are these watershed moments in the life of all people. I think I'll call number 33 pivot points. There are these moments, and it comes in the life of all people and all organizations and all families and all movements, when the circumstances around you shift. I don't mean the little circumstances. I mean the big context that you are operating on, Uh, in and all the assumptions that you are operating upon. But there are these moments, it doesn't happen often, but it does happen, and all of a sudden, things shift, they change. And what you've relied upon in the past to succeed is no longer feasible or stable. To successfully make a pivot in such moments will propel you into a new area of growth and fresh opportunity You know, I'd really hate to see, because I'm in my 50s now, and I really hate to see somebody who has come to a moment like that in their late 40s. They saw that what they're doing is not going to go anywhere, and there are new opportunities around them, and they don't take it out of fear. They just, like, hunker down and start counting the years Till retirement, you know, and I've seen people, you know, they're 15 years out and they've already quit playing the game and they're not, you know, they're not sacrificing for anything. They're just like trying to not lose, trying to not lose. And they watch everything wind slowly down. That is not what happened in the New Testament. I mean, when the book ends on the words of Paul speaking to the Jewish leaders And he says, and the Gentiles will hear it. And the end of this book marks the spot where in Rome, the center of the Gentile world, the core focus of the Christian movement shifts. It shifts markedly into evangelizing and discipling Gentile people, not as a secondary side project. This seems to be the proposal of James and the Jerusalem church. Yeah, you guys go do that. But we are about the core, you know, the, the Jewish evangelism. And that would have been great. And Paul tried it. He tried it for 20 years. And he kept working. In the early days, it worked. I mean, all that big harvest, 4,000, 6,000, massive movement, persecution. Why? Jewish harvest. Those were dynamic days. It was 20 years of beautiful Jewish harvest, but toward the end of that time, there wasn't very much Jewish harvest, but Gentile harvest, wow, they were so excited about this gospel, and everywhere Paul preached it to Gentiles, it just took off, and so he sees the Jewish results going down, 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 and the Gentile results going up, and he hits this point in his life, and he announces it from this point on, the gospel turns to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. 
and it becomes the primary focus of the daily life of most Christians from that point on. This shift propels mission around the world. Paul's only going to live for about three more years, but the gospel is going to take off. And all the second generation of leaders that Paul has trained up throughout um, Eastern Europe and uh, Turkey and the Middle East, these leaders are more and more going to push into mainstream Gentile culture. And it won't take long until the leadership of the church is not going to be coming from Jerusalem. It's going to be coming from Rome. It's going to be coming from uh, Egypt and other cities as God raises up Gentile leaders around the world. So powerful conclusion, very dramatic, uh, sad in some ways, but I mean, that's what I'm saying. These are not necessarily happy moments, but the shift happens and you either shift and go on to the new or you stay with the old and tighten everything down and you're just going to kind of watch things wind down. And I mean, maybe there's a stage in your life where you're so old that that really is what you need to do is do, you know, try to help there be a good, smooth transition so the love stays strong and, you know, the bond is there and the, and the new doesn't forget the root and the root beliefs and all, you know, the root, you know, the family history. Maybe that's a calling for a lot of people if they're really in their later years. But if you're still young and you've got the ability to, in your mind, I say young in your mind, if you've got the ability to make that shift, you need to make a shift because new things come every day. And once you make that shift, you're going to see wide open possibilities, new stuff, new opportunities. It's going to come to you because you made the shift. You had the faith to make the shift and move ahead. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the book of Acts, and here's where I'm headed. Um, this is a book about the history of the Christian church and how things got started as a movement. I want now to look down into those books that touch on the, the ministry. Okay, here's where I'm headed. First uh, and Second Timothy, and especially Second Corinthians. I think Second Corinthians is a textbook on ministry, the agony of it, the ecstasy of it, the beauty of it, the spirituality has to be underneath it. And so I want to take a few weeks here and uh, spend some some time just meditating and asking God to show me the direction for that. But I want to turn now, I believe, to Second Timothy primarily, sorry, Second Corinthians primarily, and move into a study of the ministry of shepherding other people. So I hope you'll stick with me. Look, the way that you're going to make sure you don't miss any episodes is to hit that subscribe button underneath this post online. If you'll be sure you hit subscribe and pop in your email address, we'll be able to send you an email and let you know when the new episodes come out. They won't be that much longer, uh, but it might be a few weeks after you hear this episode before we can get onto that new track. So please uh, help me out and subscribe. Also, if you don't mind, go on to the iTunes network and look up Thread by Chuck Quinley and leave us a comment and a rating. I would really, really appreciate that. Again, if you want to talk to me directly, chuck at quinley.com is my email address and I would love to hear from you anytime. Expect God to use you. That's all for now. We'll see you next time on Thread.